0: Lord, it is a foretaste of our deliverance to consider your resurrection. To think through the resurrection of Jesus is, is a shadow of the resurrection that awaits us, the moment when we will rise from the grave and ascend with all of the saints into your presence. What a day to look forward to. What a, what a moment to, to anticipate. We think through this reality even on on Memorial Day. Even as today we reflect on the lives that have been given as a sacrifice for our sake to come together here free to sing, to worship, to pray. Many of those individuals who have placed their faith in you will rise one day to see you in glory with all the saints and we will come before you with joy. Lord, we do thank you again that we are in a nation like this, that we can come here, worship, pray, gather, without fear of any sort of persecution or things of that nature. We're grateful for that. And yet we know that the fact that we are. Reflecting on Memorial Day, the the lives of those who have who've been lost for for the sake of our freedom, we, we know that is also a sign of our age, that we are in an age that is fallen. We live in a world marked by the weight of sin. And the proof of it is all around us the death of soldiers or the death of children. The death of loved ones, the pain, the turmoil, the tribulations we experience here, it's all a reminder that this is not the way things ought to be. And in this light, we, we do pray. We pray especially for what's going on in Texas, for, for families that are hurting, for communities that are reeling, for loved ones that are waking up another day without a loved one next to them. We pray for the churches in those communities to be a light in a dark situation. We pray that you would grant those churches uh, grace so that they might offer those communities a glimpse of what hope looks like, offer a glimpse of the, the foretaste of heaven and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, as we uh, come here, we also want to pray for our own community. We pray for those here in our midst. Um, Think of the fact that our our school, uh, we've hired a new principal, things to rejoice over, Brittany Rhodes taking on that role, and we're grateful for that. We pray that you would grant her success, grant the teachers and the staff their success as they enter into a season of planning this summer and approach a new semester in the fall. We pray for for our church as we gather today and get to hear your word and get to commune with one another. Pray that it would be a a helpful day, a beneficial time for us as a body. And Lord, we pray all of this uh, in Christ's name. We ask that you'd be with us. Amen. All right, you may be seated. My name is Josh McCullers. uh, I'm one of our pastors here, and I I serve with our young adults and uh, oversee the discipling here at the church. Um, I'm really glad you're here. If you're new, welcome. I'm I'm glad you've made your way to church today. I hope that you you leave here encouraged and and benefited by your time. If if you're a, a regular here, I'm glad you've come, and uh, I hope that today is, is a joy for you as you gather with the saints. Uh, I have a couple of announcements uh, today. The first, the first couple are related to our young adult ministry. Uh, if you haven't heard of our, our young adult ministry, it's called Kairos. It's, it's for our college, and, uh, college age and our young adults here at the church. And uh, we meet every tuesday night we 'd welcome you if you're if you 're in that season of life we 'd welcome you to join us We meet here at seven fifteen every Tuesday in the high school amphitheater and uh, it, if you 're here just for the summer or if you 're here for the long term come come and join us regarding uh our our Kairos ministry. We also have our summer retreat coming up. It's happening at the end of July, the last weekend of July. That's July 29th through the 31st. And so if you want to come, I I would encourage you to join us. It'll be uh, an opportunity to grow in Christ and to get plugged into uh, the community here. It's a great opportunity for that. If you want to sign up, you can go to the uh, the young adult page on our website. Another announcement is regarding our kids ministry. So our kids ministry right now, we're we are uh, in the process of, of planning for Vacation Bible Study, our VBS, this summer. Um, and what we, what we found is we're, we're actually at max capacity. But we're at max capacity not because we don't have a facility large enough to host more kids, but we're at max capacity because we don't quite have enough volunteers. So right now we have a wait list gr- that's, that's currently growing. It has about 25 to 30 kids on it, and every day there's more kids signing up. And what, uh, where we're at right now is with every volunteer who, who signs up to serve at VBS, we can bring three more children to, to uh, VBS, to bring them off the wait list and let them join us. So if you are interested at all, uh, that the dates for VBS are June 27th through July 1st, and uh, we have an informational meeting on June 5th. So I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. If you if you want to sign up, you can sign up uh, at goldenhills.org/kids or the kids page of our website. All right. So as we get started, let me let me tell you a little bit about my my past. When I was uh, in college, when I was a sophomore, I started a a Bible study at a skate park in my hometown. Uh, I grew up in Florida, and we had a we had a youth group uh, with a lot of kids who kind of came from broken homes. Right, kids who, whose families were kind of destroyed, and and these kids would basically just skateboard all the time. Our youth group, we like set up a bunch of ramps, and it got kind of overrun by like these kids who were like sort of out of control. And so we kind of decided, all right, let's remove the ramps and start a skate, a skate park ministry and like start a Bible study there, uh, which which was good. Um, but as you could imagine, it's like hey, all these kids who are kind of rebellious, like, come to the skate park, let's do a Bible study and invite all your friends. And all the kids who are at the skate park already who are kind of rebellious and sort of crazy, like, they're all coming together for a Bible study. And you can imagine, like, this, the language used, right? There's, like, curse words and, like, coarse joking, and you're trying to, like, rein them in constantly. Um, but I, I still remember some of those conversations. I remember one conversation in particular. Uh, this, this kid named Cody, he asked uh, a really... Uh, profound question. He asked whether we will be able to skateboard in heaven. And, uh, you know, I'm like looking at him and I haven't been a Christian for all that long. And so I'm trying to like process, all right, how do I respond to this kid in wisdom while all these other like skate rats are like staring at me. Um, And so I tried to explain, like, think about this. In heaven, God will be there. And so every joy that you experience here on earth while you're skateboarding, like, they come from God. And so you get God when you go to heaven and all these middle schoolers, you you know, they're just kind of staring at me (laughs) like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, answer the question. And I'm like, maybe, I don't, I don't know. And, you know, Cody just kind of stares at me and he goes, okay, um, will we be able to surf in heaven? I'm like, all right, all right, you know, let's just kind of, let's roll with it. And uh, that, that's like the joy of working with like middle schoolers. There's no filter. They're just going to say what they think. Kind of what you get is what you got. And uh, I appreciate that. But the reality is, is for for many of us, we have the same sorts of questions. You, You may not be asking about like skateboarding in heaven, but you are wondering like, what am I going to do for all of eternity? Am I going to be able to like sit on a beach in like Tahiti and just stare at a tranquil ocean? Am I going to be floating on clouds? Like, what is it going to be like? What am I going to do? How is this going to play out for all of eternity? Like, is it going to get boring? I think we all have those questions. We all have some of the same thoughts going through our head. And so our hope for this morning is to answer that question. What is the prize of heaven that is offered to us who are in Christ? What, what are we looking forward to? What is the ultimate prize that we will inherit in the new heavens and the new earth? That's the question we're going to strive to answer this morning. That's the hope. So as we're, we're closing out our series in Ephesians 1, I'd, I'd encourage you to turn there. We're in Ephesians 1. And we're going to read verses 3 through 14 again. I know we've done this like every week. And you're like, I pretty much have it memorized by now. Uh, hopefully you do. Um, let's read it one more time. You can practice your memory. Um, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Here's, here's what we uh, read. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now, as we we look at this passage today, what we are going to do is we're going to narrow our focus in on verses 9 and 10. Here we, we see that God has a plan in Christ to unite everything, things in heaven and things on earth. God is going to bring about a new kind of unity. God is going to reconcile everything in the person of his son. That's what we see in verses 9 and 10, and we want to reflect on that. So as we've already seen throughout this study, this work of of bringing unity throughout all the creation, it has already begun. But this morning, we are going to see that we are still waiting for a day. When in eternity, God brings this plan to perfection. Everything will be perfectly and completely united as one. And here's what we're going to see. First, through the work of Jesus, God will unite us to himself. Secondly, he will unite us to one another. And thirdly, he will bring unity to the creation itself. Okay, So we are united to God, we are united to one another, and the entire created order will be brought into perfect unity. Now for the sake of review, let's consider what we've already seen. Remember, this plan of bringing unity is already underway. God is already making this plan come to fruition in the everyday lives of Christians. Remember, in week one, we actually saw that this plan has its roots in eternity past, Right? We saw that the providence of God has brought forth this plan into the timeline of history. God is going to unite everything through his son. We also saw, Bo, Bo Ali preached a couple of weeks ago, that God's moving the process of this plan forward through the perfect Life and the payment of his son as he purchased a bride for God. We also saw that the product of our union with Christ is that God has formed a new people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and determined to live a new life. Phil also has pointed out that that all of this is moving towards a purpose, right? Our union with Christ is created a people, who are devoted to the glory of God in every area of our lives. Last week, we saw that the promise of our union with Christ is guaranteed to us through the Holy Spirit, who is given, given to the saints, right? So we know that we are headed towards this destiny now because we have the Holy Spirit. It's our promise. He is our promise, So with that said, let's now consider the last piece of the component here. What is the prize? Where is all of this headed? What is the final goal, the final state for the saints? It's the eternal state where we will be perfectly united to God, right? The foretaste that we experience right now is not the final thing. We are looking forward to something better, something fuller, something grander. And the first order of God's restoration of everything is to bring about a, a unity between us and God. That's, that's God's plan, the first order of God's plan. If you will, that's the first step in God's equation to, to bring about unity in all of the creation. So let me actually think. Uh, cause you to actually think back to, to middle school, like your middle school math classes I'm sorry for this, but I I, want to remind you of of what you learned in middle school in your math classes, right? You remember those math questions where it was a long equation and in the middle of the equation, there was like some parentheses and there was like a little short equation within the parentheses. So what, what, what did you have to do with that? Like you had to always answer the question within the parentheses before you deal with the larger equation, And what happens if you don't deal with the question within the parentheses first? You you get it wrong, right? You're going to miss the entire equation. And so I'm sorry for reminding you of, you know, the youth of parentheses and math equations, and and you were thinking that you'd never have to think about math again, especially in the context of a church service. Um, But if you need review on this and you have like a middle school child or grandchild, just ask them after service. They'll refresh your memory, and hopefully you will be better for it. Anyways as we think about the way all of this relates to what we're talking about in heaven, what we have to recognize is that in order for God to bring about perfect unity with all of the, the, the creation, he has to begin by uniting his people to himself. That that is the the question within the larger question. That's the small equation uh, between the parentheses within the larger equation. And if you don't get that first part right, you're going to miss the whole thing. You're going to mess the whole question up. So, if God is going to unite us to one another, if God is going to bring unity in the whole created order, he has to begin by uniting us to himself. That is the root issue. God is restoring mankind to himself. In Christ, God unites us to himself so that his plan for redemption, plan to unite all things in creation under the umbrella of Christ's lordship can come to fruition. All of this really makes sense when we consider what we find in Genesis 3. Because if you think back to, to the fall of humanity, the, the passage that we, that we read in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that was forbidden, when they do that, what happens first? Their relationship with God is hindered. Then God comes to them, and he curses the, the entire created order, right? The curses that God places upon mankind, he, he places upon the relationships between between Adam and Eve. He, he places upon the created order itself. Those are curses that result from the original sin, disobeying God. So that the unity with God is broken, and then that has implications. Namely, relationship between man and woman is hindered. Relationship between man and the created order is hindered. And so God is restoring us to himself so that he can reverse the, the curse that he placed on humanity in Genesis 3. So when we think about the fact that God is doing this, he's reversing, he's undoing the curse, we have to recognize the, the first order here. The, first, the, the, the question within the question, the equation within the equation, is to unite a people to God. So do not miss this. At the center of God's plan for eternity is uniting a people for himself, uniting a people to himself. That is at the center of God's plan. This is the high point of what God seeks to do. And this ought to stir us, right? This ought to bring joy within our hearts that in heaven we get God. And yet with that said, I think even within the church, many people have a sad and a hobbled view of what heaven will be like. We start to, to, to ask questions about what we will get to do before we get to, to the point of, is God going to be there? Think of your, your own thoughts on this. Like When you start to think about heaven, what sort of ideas come to mind? What gets you excited? I know, I know many are thinking of the people that they're going to be able to, to see in heaven. The relationships are going to be restored. Many people think through the, the food they're going to eat. I look forward to those things, certainly, especially the food, like eating food with other people, that is going to be wonderful, especially really good food. These are things to be excited about, but we have to ask the question, when you start to think of heaven, is God even part of that whole conversation? Is, is God even part of that thought process? In the late '80s, there was this movie. It's really dumb. I do not recommend it. But it's called A Weekend at Bernie's. Has anyone heard of this? Right? You're like, why in the world are you bringing that up in church? If you've heard of it, um, so you'll, it'll make sense in a minute. It's relevant. It's about these two guys named Larry and uh, Richard, and they go to their boss's house, who lives in like the Hamptons and on the beach. It's this beautiful, this beautiful mansion, basically, uh, and it's Labor Day weekend. And they show up to talk about work stuff, and when they get there, they realize that their boss is dead. And again, it's Labor Day weekend, and so shortly after they get there, and they start, you know, to come to, they're like, "Oh man, our, our boss is dead." Shortly after that, people start showing up at the house because what they don't really realize is that every Labor Day weekend, Bernie has this massive party, and. Everyone comes over for the whole weekend. They hang out at the beach. They hang out in his house. And, you know, you got Larry and Richard sitting there going, oh, man, what do we do? Like, he's dead. And then the, the plot kind of gets weird because Larry and Richard are like, you know what's strange? Like, none of these people realize Bernie's dead. So they're, like, looking at each other, and they come up with an idea. They basically put some sunglasses on him. They kind of make it look like he's got a smile on his face, and they're going to play along with it because, I mean you're at like a beach house and like there's a party and it's gonna go on for the next three days and they're like, might as well enjoy it. So they dress Bernie up, make him look like he's still alive and the whole movie's basically about them like wheeling this dead dude around and and tricking everyone. You know, it's again, why bring that up here? (laughs) Because I think many people have the same view of heaven. It's like this eternal party, And I'm going to be able to go there. I'm going to be able to enjoy the beach. I'm going to be in a mansion. I'm going to be able to hang out with people. And when we think of heaven in that way, we kind of imagine God as merely like a host. He's like sitting over in the corner. He might have the sunglasses on and like a weird grin on his face, but we're not even going to see if he's all right. Like, who cares? I'm here for his stuff. I'm here to hang out at the beach. That is not the vision of heaven that we receive in the pages of scripture. It is not ultimately about the gifts. It's about the giver of the gifts. It's not ultimately about God's stuff. It is about God. When we look through the pages of scripture, what we see is that the gospel's chief end is the glory of God. Not only that, but, the, but when we think of heaven, heaven's chief end is the glory of God. I mean, just look at Ephesians 1. And we see this, this line show up over and over again. Verse six, he says, in love he predestined us, verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 12, in him we have an inheritance. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verses 13 and 14, in him you also you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to what end? To the praise of his glory. God's glory is at the center of God's plan for history. Exalting his own glory is God's plan for heaven. This is the purpose of the gospel. And this is not only found in Ephesians 1, it's found all over the place. So let's just look at some of these passages. John 17, 24, Jesus is about to ascend Golgotha. He's about to die for the sins of his people and he's praying for his disciples and he prays this, John 17, beginning in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying, God, let them see my glory. Let them see the glory that I have had throughout all of eternity. That's what I want for my people. Keep going, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Forever, throughout eternity, our hearts will be consumed with the glory of God. And this tells us a little bit about heaven. Because heaven is ultimately about God. When we think of 1 Peter 3.18, sums up the same fact. Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Righteous for what end? That he might bring us to God. That's the ultimate point of heaven, unity with God. When we read about this in Revelation 21, what we see is that God is at the center of of the new Jerusalem. It says this, Revelation 21, 23, and the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. You see, the church will find her eternal residence in God's presence where God's glory will resound forever. And we get to participate in it. We get to enter into his presence. We get to see his glory as it is and we get to participate in it being exalted. There is nothing in all of creation that can be a better hope for us. We can't, we can't miss this. God's glory is not at the expense of our joy. God's exaltation is not, not to our demise. It is for our good. There is no better gift that can be op- offered to the people of God than the opportunity to participate in bringing God glory and exalting him throughout eternity. You know, we might be tempted to think, like, that sounds really boring. Like, Seriously? Like you're telling me that heaven is just going to be about giving God glory, like throughout all of eternity. Again, I kind of just want the stuff. I want the beach. I want the house. I want I want the party. I know sometimes it's it's difficult when we start to think about these things because we don't have a a clear vision of what it looks like to glorify God throughout all of eternity. You might think, I I don't know how interesting it will be to be in heaven if it's all about bringing God glory forever. But I want you to just be assured by the fact that there is nothing more interesting or more compelling than entering into the eternal and infinite presence of God and exalting it. If you feel calloused towards that thought, that does not change the fact that there is nothing more enthralling about that idea. It doesn't matter how you feel. That's the fact. Your lack of excitement for that day does not change the reality that God will baffle you when you see him. There's this idea, uh, this this lie that we can be duped into believing that the, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That is not the case when it comes to God's presence. If you feel indifferent towards him, that doesn't mean seeing him won't change that. Because the moment you enter into his presence, you're gonna realize your futile ways and you're going, man, I had far too small a view of God. It doesn't matter what you think right now. When you see him, it will transform you. It will change you. Your lack of excitement for that day right now isn't going to alter that fact. When you see his beauty, you will be overjoyed. End of story. So we can be encouraged by that. If you sense that you are in a season of callous indifference towards God, Remind yourself, tell your soul that the blazing glory, glory of God will one day burn away those calluses when you see Him for who He really is. He will, he will drown out those weeds that are suffocating your affections. And as we wait for those calluses to be removed, I would just encourage you to, to ask God for the mindset that Paul had, especially in Philippians three, verse eight. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Like, is that your feeling towards God? Is is that where your heart is at right now? If not, ask God for help. Ask God to to sort out your desires for you. I'd also encourage you to consider why your affections for God are fading. Do some inventory. Start asking those difficult questions. Why am I not enthusiastic about the glory of God? Why don't I care about this? I know for me, there's always this temptation to settle with the fleeting joys of life. Like, let me look at the numbers in my bank account. Do I have a treasure here on earth? Let me think about the, the, the vacation coming up. Like, that's really what I want. And I begin to settle. And, and when I begin to settle, my affections for God are limited. And what I know is that when I start to get consumed with the things of this world, the treasures of this world, the solution is often to think more about heaven stop thinking about the treasures here, think more about heaven. I know it can kind of seem sort of escapist to just be like, hey, the solution is to just think about the world to come. Stop thinking about the things here, think about the world to come. But there could be nothing more appropriate for the church, especially when its members feel suffocated by their desires for the things of this world. The more we dwell on heaven, the more we ponder what it will be like, the more aligned our souls will become. The more aligned our hearts will become towards that moment when we see God. So let's make a habit of reflecting on the glory of God. Let's make a habit of reflecting on heaven, on the treasures that are there instead of the fleeting treasures, the fading treasures that are here. As C.S. Lewis Famously said, do not be settled with the mud pies and the dirt when a vacation at sea is on offer. God is offering us heaven and his presence and we're just building our little kingdoms here saying, this is what I want. It's a mud pie. It's nothing but a sandcastle. A wave is gonna come and knock it over in a moment's notice. So as we begin to uh, contemplate all of this, let's think of some of the other prizes to be experienced in the presence of God. You see, experiencing God is the ultimate prize of heaven, but when we are reconciled to God, there will be other prizes to be experienced in that prize's wake. And so as we're thinking through this, let's let's not miss miss sight of the the ordering of all of this. I want us to, to... Look at John Piper's, uh, he has a quote from uh, "The God is the Gospel. Really helpful book if you want to dive into the centrality of God and the gospel. Um, but here's what he says as, as it relates to this whole idea of like there are gifts to be received that are not God in heaven, but yet God is the ultimate gift. Let's, let's consider some of the things he says here. Piper writes this. He says, from the first sin in the Garden of Eden to the final judgment... Human beings will continue to embrace the love of God as the gift of everything but himself. Indeed, there are 10,000 gifts that flow from the love of God. The gospel of Christ proclaims the news that he has purchased by his death 10,000 blessings for his bride. But none of these gifts will lead to the final joy if they have not first led to God first orders. God is first order here. And not one gospel blessing will be enjoyed by anyone for whom the gospel's greatest gift was not the Lord himself. It's not until we find all of our satisfaction in God himself that we can rightfully enjoy the other blessings that come from him. That's the way this works, right? So as we're thinking through our union with God and considering some of these other blessings, let's keep all of this in mind. Here's what we see. As we think through some of the other blessings to be experienced in heaven, the other prizes that are ours, we need to think of the fact that God is restoring our relationship with one another. We also need to to recognize that God is restoring the entire creation. He's bringing unity, perfect unity, to all things in heaven and on earth. Remember, Ephesians 1 verse 10, the plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So at the fullness of time, at at eternity's shore, God is going to unite everything together in Christ. Because the curse will finally be undone. Once we are united to God, we will be perfectly united to one another and to the creation itself. And so let's, let's first consider the fact that God is uniting us to one another. So in the new heavens and the new earth, God will finally and ultimately perfect our relationship with others. I think it's interesting to, to contemplate this for a minute. When you think about your relationships with other people, it's kind of a complex thought. Because as we're considering our relationships with other people, we recognize that there are extremes. On the one hand, some of the brightest moments in life that we ever experience happen in the context of other people. Sometimes they happen through other people. I think back to moments with my wife, Think of moments with my kid, think of of moments with friends, childhood friends, family members. It can actually be kind of difficult to think back on your past and find a cherished memory that doesn't include someone else because we we prioritize relationships. At the same time, we live in a fallen world and our relationships with other people can also result in pain, pain, sorrow, brokenness, difficulties, sometimes unspeakable difficulties. There's broken families, betrayal, backbiting, abuse, manipulation. All of this demonstrate the effects of the fall on human relationships. And so when you start to consider... Even the last couple of weeks of headlines, it's staggering to think about the amount of pain people can inflict on other people. Whether it's a a shooting in Buffalo, whether it's a, a war in Europe, whether it's this unthinkable tragedy in Texas, we feel the weight of broken relationships all around us. It is staggering and horrifying to understand how much pain people can inflict on other people it is difficult to understand human relationships because, again, they can produce joy that is unspeakable and tremendous horror. And we're trying to keep all of this in balance, keep all of this in mind, in all of our relationships. We all know this tension well. But we know also that Our hope is rooted in the gospel. Remember, what we find in the gospel is that God is reversing the curse of Genesis 3. All of the the curses that are talked about in Genesis 3 are are, are undone in the work of Jesus. So we've seen this, right? There's there's this potential for good to come out of relationships that the curse has, has thwarted. But by God's grace, we are called to, to experience only positive, positive potential in our relationships once we enter into heaven. Right? By God's grace, we also, this is important, we also get the opportunity to offer a watching world an example of what this sort of restoration between relationships looks like. Because right now, this is happening, right? God is restoring us to one another, even right now, even as we await the moment when we will enter into God's presence and those relationships will be finally restored. As we are transformed into the image of Christ, right now, sin is removed. Our relationships with others are transformed. So a little tangent on this idea, okay? A little tangent. Have you noticed that many of the New Testament commands are only to be understood or can only be understood when we think about the way they, they apply in the context of community? Or so many of, of the, the commandments that we see in the New Testament, we don't have time to obviously go through all of them, but many of them are community oriented. So test case, Galatians 5. Right. Galatians 5 is all about the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you are probably familiar with that. You've heard it since, uh, you know, you're in kids' ministry or something. A little child if you grew up in the church. But the fruit of the Spirit is, is this passage in Galatians 5. It, it shows us what it looks like to live in the Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5, he also shows us what it looks like to walk in the flesh. In other words, he shows us what it looks like to live without the Spirit. We see both sides of the coin. And here's what we can see here. Let's start in Galatians five nineteen to 21. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So these are the proofs that someone is living their life apart from the Holy Spirit. And notice that as we read this list, most of these attributes can only be demonstrated in the context of community. Really, there's like three of the vices that you could say could only, or could be like accomplished by yourself. Sorcery, idolatry, drunkenness. Like you could do those things by yourself. You could also do them in community. But the rest of this list actually implies that other people are around. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, enmity, strife, jealousy. Like you get the picture, right? Flip side, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, the same thing is true. These attributes are demonstrated in the context of community. Verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think most of these, if not all of these, are meant to be carried out in community. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind with one another. I bring this up because God is currently transforming us into a united people. That's what the Spirit is doing in us right now. And in so doing, God is reversing the curse by bringing peace to all of our relationships this side of heaven. But we still wait for the day when those relationships will be be perfectly uh, experienced in perfect unity. In that day, the family of God will be united in beauty. In that day, sons and daughters who have been adopted through the work of Christ will approach the throne of grace together in gladness. In that moment, we will be able to say, he is our God as a people. He is our God and we, we are his people. There will be perfect unity between brothers and sisters in Christ in that moment. So even as some of the most precious relationships that you can experience this side of heaven, even as you see those, we must recognize that they are merely seeds. They they are foretastes. They are shadows of the relationships that we will have in heaven. And that will be a joyful day. But there is more. When the curses of sin are finally banished, all things will be united in Christ. Back to Ephesians 1.10. Again, the plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So what we are talking about is that something universal is going to happen in the new heavens and the new earth, right? There is a universal change coming about. This is about personal restoration to God. It is about personal restoration with one another, but there's something even bigger going on, something bigger, something grander. God is promising that there is a day approaching when everything in all of creation will find unity in the, the, the Son of God, in Christ. So if you would, turn your, turn your attention to Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 18 to 22. Here we have this explicit explanation of what it will look like when the entire creation will be restored. Romans 8, starting in verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy uh, to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. together in childbirth right now, right? What, what, is, what is Paul saying here? There, there's really two, two key ideas to take from this. First of all, the brokenness that, that uh, we experience in the created order right now is resulting from the fall of humanity, right? So because of the fall, we experience brokenness. That's the first lesson here. The second lesson is that God is going to undo this Yes, there is brokenness now as a result of the fall of humanity, but one day it will be undone. That's the basic two-part message of Romans 8 here. Think about this, right? The brokenness that we experience in this life is a sign of the fact that we are not right with God it's, it's interesting how people often turn to the destruction that they see in the world, hurricanes, fires, storms, earthquakes, and they, they say, this is proof that your God does not exist, right? How could a good God allow something like this? How could an all-powerful God allow something like this? That is not the point Paul is making here. He's making quite a different point. What he is saying is that when we see the corruption of this world, it should lead us to sorrow, it should lead us to recognize that things are not as they should be. But the reason that this world is broken is because we are broken. So when we see the devastation of a fire or a tornado, it should lead us to long for the day when God heals our sins and unites us to himself, right? Paul is essentially saying that the reason the world is broken isn't, isn't uh, because God is, is corrupt or broken, it's because we are. This is not saying something about God's imperfection, it's saying something about our imperfection. Romans 8 is showing us that we are still awaiting a day when everything will be reversed. The creation is waiting for it. What is it waiting for? It's waiting for the moment when the children of God will be revealed before God Almighty. And when that happens, the curses of Genesis 3 will be undone. Again, all of this is related back to Genesis 3 because as a result of the fall, what we see in Genesis 3 is that God curses the ground. Thorns and thistles begin to grow. Work is now accomplished by the sweat of your brow. Child labor is now difficult. Death has entered into the world. My my wife just gave birth to a baby. And if I said that childbirth just causes pain, she'd go, ah, that's definitely an understatement, right? There is something wrong with the creation around us. And we all know it. We don't need convincing of that. It's because of our sin. And this this doesn't mean that we won't get glimpses of the potential that this world has to offer in terms of good and beauty. It just means those opportunities are limited and they aren't always presented with the most clarity. You think about it, the same tension that we experience in our relationship with other people, where it's like there's, there's great potential for joy and great potential for sorrow, is the same sort of experience that we have with the created order. Great potential for joy, great potential for sorrow. If you think about the weather, for example, I, I love like September and October in, uh, in, Cal- in Northern California, right? Because it's beautiful. Like it's not too hot, it's not too cold. You like go out to the beach and for basically the only time of the year, there's like no wind. Like man, there's no wind in San Francisco today. This is unique. Yeah, every September and October, it's beautiful. And yet we also know in the back of our mind that September and October is fire season. So even as there's this potential for like a paradise-like experience, we also know that a hell-like experience is close at hand. It could come upon us at any moment. You think about the 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 experience of like the animal kingdom that we have. Like if you if you're interested in like wolves, it's really cool to like watch them from a distance. Because they're like strong, they're powerful. Mighty, like they they run as a pack. There's something intriguing about that, and really about any sort of powerful animal—grizzly bears, lions—but their beauty can only be experienced from like a distance, right? Because you approach a pack of wolves, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't realize this animal is bloodthirsty and uh, vicious." There's great potential for something to be experienced there that's beautiful, but there's also fear and trepidation. You think of our work, and it is similar. You can go to work and feel totally fulfilled. Man, I got this this task done at work today and it it left me feeling accomplished. And then the next day you show up and you go, man, thorns and thistles all over the place. I'm gonna quit. You're like, man, it's been 24 hours. What happened? Thorns and thistles, sweat of the brow. The same thing happens when we think about the creation, right? It's, It's interesting that some of the most intriguing things about this world are also some of the most dangerous things. Like you, you watch documentaries about people like climbing Mount Everest or surfing like 50 foot waves in Half Moon Bay. You're like, those people are crazy, but I kind of want to do it, right? I kind of want to do that too. Like I, I've never really liked the ocean, but that looks kind of cool. Like I'm intrigued. There's power, there's beauty, right? There's, there's might. And I want to get close to that. But there's avalanches, there's drowning. I, I don't want that. And so we have this interesting dilemma. Even as an experience of of this creation can offer joy, it can also offer sorrow and death and pain. Because again, the world is fallen. It is groaning. It is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God in God's presence. And when our relationship with God is finally altered for the better, in that moment, the creation itself, will throw off the chains of futility and be brought back into the state that it was intended to be in. When the new heavens and the new earth are revealed, the, the storms, the fires, they will be undone with and there will only be perfect weather. When, when we experience the new heavens and the new earth, the hostility, hostility between man and beast will be undone. We'll allow our children to go play with wolves and not fear one bit. When that moment happens, our work will only be fulfilling. And just as a side thought, like there will be work in heaven. I know sometimes we think, no, it's just going to be just playing, fun, games. But remember, God gave Adam a task to keep the ground, to work it, to have dominion. He gave him that task before the curse. There will be work and it will be good and fulfilling and joyful all the time. In that moment, we will be able to explore the, the heights of mountains and the, the deepest oceans without any fear of avalanches or drowning. That is what we get to look forward to. Pain will end, sorrow will cease, death will be no more. And those are just the icing on the cake. Because remember, the ultimate point, the substance is God will be there. He will be there and we will get to see him as he is. No more death, that's an afterthought. I get God. No more pain, afterthought. I get God. Right. That is what we are looking forward to. And so as we anticipate this moment when all things are reversed and we get to enter into God's presence, united to him in perfection, we will be satisfied. And in that moment when we see joy itself, and pleasures forevermore, and we see the face of it in God Almighty, in that moment when we we are fully satisfied, we will also get the add-on benefits of perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationships with the the world itself, the created order, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, the ability to climb Mount Everest without the fear of dying, and it will just be an add-on benefit. Let's close by reading Revelation 21, verse 3. Let's pray. Lord, we do look forward to that day. We look forward to that moment where we see you face to face. We experience your satisfying presence once and for all. What a day. What a a moment to look forward to when we won't ever have to hear horrible news again about tragedies, about pain, about war, lost loved ones heart attacks brokenness we won't have to hear any of that because when we are united to you we know that we will have perfect unity with all things everything will will fall under the submission to your son you have perfect lordship even the creation itself will demonstrate that there is harmony between us And your son. And so we look forward to that. We hope and pray that it will come soon. Give us grace to to sustain us as we wait for that day. We pray all of this in this name of your son. Amen.